Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. But first, we welcome to the show a pair of accomplished comic book writers and filmmakers with credits that include Nightwing, Batman Beyond, Batman Eternal, Captain America, Avengers Origins, a brilliant short film, The League, and the upcoming image series, Cowl. Uh, we welcome Kyle Higgins and Alex Siegel. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Hey, how's it going, man? So we, we normally like to start at the beginning. And the thing is, you guys are sort of writing partners on a lot of different things, starting with at least that I've seen, The League, which is a terrific short film, by the way. Um, Thanks. Thank you. And uh, Kyle, you went to film school at Chapman in Orange, California. And Alec, you went to Illinois State University, where you studied English and had a minor in film, from what I understand. Yeah, it was kind of it was a minor in film, more kind of film theory. They didn't really have a, a production department. Gotcha. Actually, making moving out here when we were making the league was kind of a a crash course in filmmaking because you know I was there to help Kyle and we went through like the whole process, writing, casting, scouting, shooting, like all of it. Right. Well, so then where did you guys meet? How did you guys connect? Uh, we went to high school together, actually. Cool. <clears throat> so we. Grew up in the uh, southwest suburbs of Chicago, down in, well, he was in Lockport and I was in Homer Glen, which they're towns right next to each other. And so in high school, um, I think we just met through mutual friends. I was in the, the band program and he was, did a lot of theater stuff. And um, so we, we, like, we knew each other kind of in passing. And then my, one of our mutual friends, uh, Jana, um, who I'm sure will thrill her to no end that we just mentioned her name. <laughs> she, uh, she and I were, I remember we were talking at one point and I was trying to like figure out some screenwriting stuff. And, and she said, Oh, you know, Alec does that too. And I said, Oh, I did not know that. And so, um, I actually remember you reformatted something, a little short film I was writing cause I didn't oh. know how to write, uh, in, I didn't know what like screenwriting form was at that point, mm-hmm. you know, like 17 years old. Um, and then, you know, we just stayed in touch, uh, throughout college. I went, to, I started at the university of Iowa and then transferred to Chapman in Orange County for my last three years. Mm-hmm. And Alec was at Illinois state. And, um, I think we worked on a couple like small things together, like during that time, but it, it was really the league that was kind of the first thing that we tried to actually write together. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, and then Alec moved out here when we were actually making the film. You're, he's, he's, I don't know why I'm talking about him in the third person. He's <laughs> sitting right next to me. Uh, well, you're, you are, you're older than me. So yeah. he, he was done with, um, he graduated when I was going into my final year. Um, so, so yeah, and then we just basically almost killed ourselves to make this, uh, this huge short film. It's a short film. It's 27 or 29 minutes or something, but it doesn't feel like a short film. It feels like a pilot or something like that. Uh, you, you guys did an amazing job. I mean, for those who haven't seen it, you can go to, what's it, theleaguefilm.com? Yeah, theleaguefilm.com. The there's, a, there's a trailer there, yeah. and then if you click on the watch tab, um, there's a link to buy, it on, buy the whole film on iTunes. And I think it's also available on Amazon, like instant. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So... Very cool. And it's fantastic, though. Um, yeah, the, I'm actually, I'm not thrilled with the encode for iTunes. It's this oh. third-party company, um, Shorts International, that oh. 
has the the iTunes distribution rights, and so um, the the uh, the blacks aren't uh, aren't quite as dark as they should be. Right. So but you get the you get the you get the general idea. Sorry, it's a it's a really late night here, and <laughs> yeah, we've been we've been doing a lot of promotion for Cowell, and we've got I've got a, well we've got a script on something due tomorrow that hasn't been announced yet, and then also. Um, a, uh, a pitch tomorrow that I'm I'm trying to prep a big visual presentation for. Um, now, Kyle, you've had a long run writing Nightwing, and now you're on Batman Eternal, and Alec, you've co-written titles like Captain America and Avengers Origins. Were you guys both comic book fans growing up? Uh, I actually kind of come to it through, and I think Kyle's maybe sort of the same way, through like the movies, like Tim Burton's Batman, Richard okay. Donner's Superman, Superman 2 and like Batman the animated series. Mm-hmm. So my interest has kind of always been more on the on the film and I guess the TV side of it um, than than strictly comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I am definitely uh, a big comic book fan and grew up a big comic book fan. I never um, I never wanted to pursue writing them. I never really thought it was a possibility and. To be honest, I actually, in a lot of ways to this day, still don't really think of myself as a writer, mm-hmm. um, especially like growing up and and in, in high school and college. I never really considered myself a writer, um, even though looking back, I kind of always wrote. I, I remember like my earliest being in second grade, like writing a short story that like the school library like bound it with construction paper and like put on the shelves right so like I've always written but I kind of never thought of myself in that light and um, especially in high school and then in college I was writing purely so I would have material to direct and it wasn't until I got I probably my sophomore year at the University of Iowa that I actually wrote this prose piece that um, like I actually was pretty proud of how it turned out and then from there, I kind of dabbled in some screenwriting stuff and refined it a little bit more when I was at Chapman and then the league. And um, I have no idea where I was going with that sentence. Uh, my apologies. What what were we talking about? Oh, comics. Comics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Big comic book fans. Yeah, how you're the on, hell you're on did a, I end up on that? You were all over the place. <laughs> oh, whoa! Well, oh, because I never thought of myself. I never thought I I would be writing comics. Is right. kind of the, the way the long way of saying that. Gotcha. Now, The League, your short film, it's about a superhero union led by the Grey Raven. And mm-hmm. Cowl, it's about a superhero union led by the Grey Raven. Um, so it's funny that, how that happened, isn't it? Is that just a coincidence? A funny Total coincidence? coincidence. Nice. We ran out of names. Yeah. Gotcha. So is Cowl a continuation of The League, or is it more of a reboot? I know The League was set in the 40s and Cowl was set in the 60s. Well, actually, The League was set in the 60s as well. Okay. The opening of the league is set in the 40s. Cowell is, the best way we've described it to this point is that it's inspired by the league. Mm -hmm. Um, The league was kind of our proof of concept, kind of a test run. Um, The thing about the league that has always kind of bugged me, and it's it's also the reason that we never really pursued trying to make it as a feature. Mm -hmm. Um, We had interest, but it just, it never felt like the right fit because the concept of, you know, organized heroes this labor union in the 60s and uh, the ensemble cast and the possibilities of the interactions between members of the union and the city and the politics and 
it's it really is a, a big idea and there's a lot of world building possibilities there and a feature never really takes is able to take advantage of all that like and so when you look at the short film that concept is really just the backdrop for a murder mystery mm -hmm. um, like if you were to actually break down the story of the league it's it's the former sidekick comes back because the villain who almost killed him has returned and that villain is killing former you know supervillains in the city and there's this big conspiracy about the union going national and you know who's behind this and the return of the villain the dart is his name mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it's a murder mystery. Um, but now with Cowell, what's great is that we have a platform that is conducive to big world building, multi-cast, multi-ensemble cast. That's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, just an ensemble. Yeah, ensemble <laughs> cast um, stories. And we're able to, to world build this thing out and, and explore the different divisions of Cowell. Um, and you know, really kind of get into it in a, in a in a long form way. Right. Why did you choose the '60s? Well, um, there are a couple of reasons. The first is that um, when I originally came up with the idea, um, it wasn't the '60s. And it's it's funny. We were actually going through old files yesterday, totally by coincidence, and I found the original short story that I wrote. Um, it's not very good, but it's also not terrible. I mean, I was actually like, I read it all the way through and I was like, oh, well that's, I don't hate it. Um, <laughs> but, um, but it had a lot of the things that it hit a lot of the ideas that we ended up a developing lot of the in the league yeah. and in Cowell. Oh, and what's funny is that some of those ideas are like throwaway sentences that have become like the crux of yeah. like entire story arcs. Yeah. Um, Basically, it was it was a, a story set modern day, and um, it was more of a satire uh, and kind of a comedy piece more than anything. It wasn't until we got into the idea of a different era, like the 1960s, where America was kind of at this precipice, and it's the start of the loss of innocence in this country, and... Um, you know, it's this great time of change, not to mention in the comic book industry, it's kind of the transition from the golden age to the silver age and the rise of the flawed Marvel superheroes. Um, and then in Chicago, the, the history of politics there and uh, the daily political machine and, you know, um, just the different labor unions of the time, there's this kind of rich world that all of a sudden grounds the concept of organized superheroes in a way that isn't possible modern day, you know, to tell that story modern day feels very tongue in cheek. And, you know, you say a superhero labor union, and I have actually, I've had this happen. I, I like, I was, I remember specifically being at the image expo announcing the book. And I said, we're announcing it's cowl. It's about, uh, it's about a superhero labor union, the Chicago organized workers league, superhero labor union. And I'm looking out into the audience as I'm announcing it. And I see people kind of smirk and kind of like, you know, chuckle a little bit. And then I, and then I continue and I go and I say it, it's set in 1960 Chicago and at its core, it's about exploring the corruption of an American institution. And all of a sudden people kind of, you know, their, their eyebrows kind of got a little furrowed and, and a little bit more of a serious look on their face. And you can see the wheels starting to turn right. where it's like there's actually a lot of moral and ethical questions that come up with that kind of concept if you ground it in the right way. Um, 
so so that's really the genesis of it and that's you know we're also big history buffs and and we love we love the cold war i mean not like oh (laughs) we should go back to the cold war it's just a fascinating era of history i mean the whole decade i mean that's the thing is there's so much change and and you know moving out of one era into another that's just inherent in the 60s that it made sense in a lot of ways to set it there and that transition from the post-war years you know or after the post-war years where there's the you know the the good and evil black and white kind of quality of the of of the of the of the war transitioning into this you know we're not quite sure who our enemies are and you know who we are who we are yeah just creates a really nice backdrop for this whole thing i mean i guess you know communism and the, the russians were our enemies but there was this whole you know this whole like your neighbor could be you know, against you quality that um, the lines, the battle lines aren't as clear cut, you know, and, and that's a really interesting era to explore superheroes in and the idea of a superhero. Right, right. Paranoia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, without revealing too many secrets or details, you've talked a little bit about themes in Cowell and the setting of the 60s, the labor union is sort of more of the backdrop. Can you tell us a little bit about the characters in Cal and, you know, what types of stories you're going to be telling? Well, when we sat down and, and started to break the comic and figure out how we were going to structure the whole thing, I mean, one of one of the things we decided to do was, I mean, some of the characters carry over from, from the short film, mm-hmm. but we tried to come up with ways that each character would be a viewpoint that would give you, you know, a window into different parts of, the organization. So, like for example, you've already mentioned the Gray Raven. Mm-hmm. He, or in this Jeffrey Warner, who is head of Cowl now in the '60s, and you know, ten years ago was, or twenty years ago was the Gray Raven. You know, one of the greatest heroes in the city, and now he's he's hung up the costume and he's he's leading things. So we have kind of the the top down uh, viewpoint as he's kind of gone from crime fighter to politician, basically, or bureaucrat. Um, yeah, I mean, he was very much kind of a living legend, which figures into his character pretty prominently because, I mean, that's the way he wants people to see him. That's the way he sees himself. So, you know, he's got a very high opinion of himself, and he likes he's he's the leader. And then you have characters like um, Blaze, who was also in the um, uh, the short film, and a couple new characters, Arclight and Radia, who form uh, well, the tactical division, kind of like a SWAT team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, when there's big time villains in the city, there, there's the big guns that you send in, uh, and Blaze is also the, uh, the deputy chief. And then you have, uh, John Pierce, who's in the investigations division. So, you know, anytime there's, I mean, basically anything to investigate, a super villain leaves some clue behind. You have this entirely different division that just looks into it and, and, you know, finds out, you know, where they're hiding or whatnot. And then you have a uh, patrol division, which is Grant Marlowe, or our viewpoint there is Grant Marlowe and um, Carl Samoski. And they're kind of, uh, Carl, uh, is his superhero name is Eclipse. He has kind of uh, anti-kinetic powers. Mm-hmm. So kind of much more like low-level powers compared to somebody like Radia, who's telekinetic, or Arclight, who can fly and has kind of like cosmic energy powers. And uh, so Patrol, it's like they're just kind of on the street all the time, kind of your, your first responders. Um, and then 
Grant Marlowe is a sharpshooter, but he actually he doesn't have a superhero name and he doesn't have superpowers, which becomes a big plot uh, plot point. And uh, they are just kind of your street level viewpoint as well. So we kind of wanted to find ways to to get all of the different viewpoints of how they interact with the city and how the city interacts with them. And the different divisions really do speak to um, the world building that you know uh, we were talking about before. Um, each one of these points of view is um, representative of uh, a different division in Cowell. So in the first arc especially, um, these are our main points of view. As we get out of the out of the first arc and into the second arc, we start to follow characters who um, have more tangential relationships with Cowell, i.e., the mayor, um, the police, people in the police department, um, people in the news industry. Um, so it's it definitely kind of uh, definitely spirals a little bit after the first arc. Right. Cool. Now, can you talk a little bit about the development process of Cowl with Image? Um, I know you guys are already uh, established comic creators, so I'm sure the process was sort of streamlined um, as opposed to you know being an aspiring comic creator. But like, how did you pitch Image, Cowl? I'm sure you, you used the League, but how much of Cowl did you have done at all, if anything? Because I know like they like to have artwork, you know, how much of that did you have to bring with you to pitch? Right. Um, well, <laughs> this is a, a little bit of a, of a, I don't know, an outlier, I guess, our situation. Right. <clears throat> um, Owl wasn't supposed to be an image book. Oh. I have another project that I'm doing an image that I'm writing myself. Mm-hmm. And um, it's taken a long time to to kind of get going. Um, so at San Diego Comic-Con, uh, last year. Oh, yeah, this last one, so almost a year ago now, I was, uh, I was having drinks with Eric Stevenson, just we were having a meeting mm-hmm. uh, about this other project. And he, you know, at one point he said, well, you know, so what else is going on? And, and I told him, I said, oh, well, you know, I've, got, I've actually, I've got this other thing. I just got some pages for here. You should check this out. And I pulled up all of these um, full watercolor pages that Rod had done. And at that point, we had about we had about 10 pages done. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I showed them to Eric and he said, oh, wow. He's like, what is this? And I said, well, it's it's based on my uh, my short film, The League, which I think I had shown Eric a trailer for probably the year before. And uh, I said, it's, you know, it's, it's superhero labor union, 1960 Chicago, Rod Reese is, you know, painting the whole thing. And he's like, well, what's going on with it? And I said, uh, well, we're going to publish it kind of on our own in Brazil uh, first, because Rod is, lives in Sao Paulo and he really wants to put a book out in his home country. And he's never done sequentials before. He's never done a book. Mm-hmm. So I said, after that, you know, we're, I guess we're just going to kind of see if anyone um, in the U.S. might be interested and maybe put out the finished thing here. And without even looking up from my phone, Eric goes, well, I'm interested. And I said, really? I said, well, do you, do you want to do it? And, and he said, yeah, yeah, let's <laughs> do it. So um, what's, what's funny about that, two things are that first, I didn't think image was really a possibility for it 
um, because it's uh, it's a superhero project. Like, like I, they're my first choice um, for a couple reasons, uh, which we can get into, I guess, in in a, in a little bit here. But I didn't really, I didn't really think that it was. Uh, it was something that would be a good fit, you know, creator owned superhero books are tough to do. Um, there are so many superhero books out there just kind of to begin with. And then to launch one that, uh, especially as your first creator owned project is, is an even harder sell. And so, you know, I, it's, it's funny because this wasn't even, this wasn't supposed to be the first thing that, you know, I do, but it just, from a scheduling standpoint and, and everything else, it just kind of worked out that way. And, um, Rod has this, you know, incredible kind of Bill Sienkiewicz crossed with Phil Noto style. And the book looks like nothing else out there, Mm -hmm. which is incredibly important if you're going to do anything that has anything to do with superheroes, um, in the year 2014, you know? Mm-hmm. For that reason I just said, which is that there are so many superhero books on the stands. Um, so, so yeah, that, that was kind of the, the development of it. I mean, we had wanted to do a book based on the league for a long time. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think it was about like two years ago that I talked to Rod about, or was it like a year and a half ago? It was like, you know, would maybe you wouldn't, you know, we could do this all together. And um, he and I had done a short uh, anthology comic for uh, like a little eight page story for our friend Brian Bucciolato mm-hmm. for his foster anthology and the pages were just super badass and so that was that was where we first started talking about you know doing something longer together which turned into uh, Cowl. Now you had mentioned uh, image being your first choice and having specific reasons for that. Why was that? Well um, there are two really. The first is that um, the books that I really respond to right now and, and definitely over the last couple of years have been from Image. Mm-hmm. Um, the material that's coming out of there is, is stuff that uh, really inspires me and uh, creatively. Um, it's stuff that I really like. And so it's a company that, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an honor and privilege to, to be a part of, to be published by, you know, so that's... That's the first reason. The second reason from a business standpoint is that um, we own everything we create at Image. Mm-hmm. Um, other publishers, you split, you know, in varying, very varying percentages of the copyright, essentially, right? right? The intellectual property. Um, with Image, that's not the case. We own everything outright. And so with something like Cowl, which is based on an underlying piece of material that we created already in a film. Um, it was it was definitely important to us that we maintain um, you know ownership over over the material. Um, so you know that kind of limits your options as far as where you can take something like this. Um, although to be fair, we didn't really explore too many other places. Uh, we didn't explore any places that really we didn't get far enough along with anyone to get into, well, how would this work since there is a piece of material that predates the book? Um, so you can't really own, uh, you know, the, the underlying property. Right. Um, 
but uh, it, you know, it didn't come up because that's, you know, image is just structured in a way that um, it's not an issue for us. Right, right. Otherwise, you have to get in that whole chicken or the egg kind of thing. Right. Speaking of IPs and uh, being also screenwriters and comic book creators, what do you think of the trend that some screenwriters with no background in comics create a comic book based on a screenplay that they've already written, basically with the sole intent to make it more sellable as a script? I think it's stupid. I think, uh, you know, I mean, like, they're welcome to do that. uh, But I I mean, no one's going to read it. And it's such a tail wagging the dog situation, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons that I react so kind of um, so passionately, passionately about it is because I know a lot, I've met a lot of those people and they have like, they have no respect for comics. Mm -hmm. They look at it as like, well, I, you know, wrote a screenplay. So how hard could it be? You know, I mean, I can just kind of put this out there and comics are desperate for, it's a small little industry and they're desperate for, you know, good writers uh, that's not really the case. You know, I mean, it's actually, it's a very competitive industry and to get, to, to put a book out and fight for attention on the stands, you know, um, is, is a really hard thing to do with, with any piece of material. Um, you really do kind of need, um, you need a track record. Um, now a lot of these, a lot of these guys that are, are doing that, um, as far as, you know, adapting their, their screenplays into comics, they're not doing it for a, you know, they're doing it for the reason you just said, which is like, well, it, it basically, um, enhances the IP, mm-hmm. um, or it creates the illusion of enhancing the IP, right. but, um, people don't want screenplays turned into comics so they can buy the comic, you know, like they want books and series and worlds that they can then adapt as, you know, as a film or as a TV show, if, if that's, you know, your industry. Um, so it's just a total like tail wagging the dog kind of, kind of situation. So I'm not a, I'm not a proponent and, um, I never want to be one of those guys that creates even, you know, on my end as someone who writes comics for a living, I don't want to write a book just to try to make a movie out of it. You know, like I want the book to be its own thing. I want, I want to make comics because I love comics and because it's an art form, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so that's just my two cents. Gotcha. Now you guys both studied film and you're both comic book writers as well as uh, screenwriters. But screenplays obviously have a very strict format and comic books don't really have any sort of format, sort of whichever, whatever you feel comfortable doing as a writer. What are the similarities and differences other than the technical stuff between the mediums in terms of writing scripts? Well, I would actually say first, they, they do have a format. Um, there are variations on it. Um, and yes, there's no set standard, but at the end of the day, you have to write a script that is going to be interpreted by an artist. So you need to be clear, like all of, you know, the way that you write, the way that you break things down has to be, um, has to be clear to someone reading it, 
what exactly what you're intending and and um it has to convey a mood and a feel which is a very big similarity to screenwriting you know right yeah no i, I think yeah you you nailed it on the head i think that uh, i meant that there's no specific industry standard so what determines if you write in more of a that marvel plot style or whether you write a full script the um, artist that you're working with or yeah yeah i mean it's it's a there's a it's a personal preference and it's it's a working relationship preference i mean some artists really like marvel style because it allows um more freedom for them in the storytelling some artists uh like it but aren't good at it you know um right actually eddie barrows is fantastic at it he and i did the first you know 16 issues of Nightwing together. Well, actually, he there were some fill-ins in there, but he did a big. He did the majority of them, and right around, I'd, I'd been writing full script, and then around issue 12, um, I was forced to write Marvel style, and uh, I don't remember why. Why was that? Oh, um, they brought another writer in to rewrite a plot of mine, and then I was going to come back and write all the dialogue. And so, uh, so that's what it was. So Eddie got this reworked plot from a different writer that was Marvel style. And uh, his pages came back, his layouts, and they were unbelievable. I mean, he really opened up. And I, I realized that I had been kind of very um, constricting uh, in my previous scripts. And so I loose. I let off the throttle and 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 loosened up going forward, and and we got into the death of the family storyline with the Joker, and and those pages are are just breathtaking. I mean, they're the best ones that that we did in the series, and um, you know, it just was a uh, a case of you know not not realizing um, how good his storytelling skills were. Right. Going back to what we were talking about in terms of screenplay format comic book format uh and not talking about the format itself but the mediums what are the similarities and differences between screenwriting comic book writing uh in terms of the medium itself you know the style and everything not talking about the technical aspect of it yeah i mean for me i think the big kind of revelation i guess or, or change that i had to be coming from kind of the screenwriting side of it was you know, in a on a screenplay, you can be you know you don't want to be vague, but you don't want to be you know especially detailed. I mean, there's not because it's a lot of that's going to become you know the production designer is going to step in and the director is going to have a vision and and you know there's enough in in a screenplay to give the reader an idea of what should be there, but then they take it and run with it. I mean, a comic, on the other hand. Like Kyle said, it's like you have to describe it. An artist has to be able to look at what you've written and say, okay, like this is what, this is what we need to, what he needs to draw. And, you know, so that was like becoming more specific about things. And then at the same time, realizing that you have, you know, anywhere from five to eight panels, depending on how many you want to put in there to tell the story per page. So it's becoming very um, precise with, with what it is you're showing and how to get through a scene. 
and that, you know, for me, it was a big, was a big challenge. And it still is a lot of times just, you know, when you switch back and forth from writing a screenplay to, to a comic script, it's just, you know, put it down on the screenplay and it's like, this happens and the character turns and, and, you know, and, and the scene just flows. You don't really have to think about the camera shots and all that kind of stuff. But then you go to the comic script and you're like, oh, I can't have the character do this thing at, and that thing in the same panel because it's a static image. So like, just kind of, for me, that's always been a big uh, thing to keep aware of. Mm-hmm. Now, Kyle, you signed with UTA based on the strength of the league. What does your success as a comic book writer sort of add to your profile as a screenwriter and filmmaker, if at all? <laughs> uh, nothing. Okay. <laughs> it's made you a better writer. It's made me a much better writer. Yeah, okay. that, that is actually 100% true. Um, it's given me a lot of experience in telling stories. Sure. Um, and giving me a lot more confidence. But as far as a, a business, mm-hmm. um, anything in the business goes, it, it doesn't really do anything. Um, you know, I got a lot of attention off the league mm-hmm. four years ago, what, five years ago now, whatever that was. And, uh, you know, I've slowly started circling back into that world and, and looking to start, start trying to make films again. Um, so a lot of the meetings and conversations that I have now um, are with some people that I met with a couple of years ago and then, you know, a lot of new people. Um, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a nice, it's an easy conversation starter to say, well, what have you been doing the last couple of years? Oh, well, I've been writing Batman. Um, mm-hmm. But outside of that, I mean, it's, it's not anything that, um, that really translates. Um, and that's actually, by the way, something that getting back to our point earlier about screenwriters who have never made comics or have no, you know, they they don't have a career in comics Mm -hmm. coming and trying to adapt their scripts into comics. Same thing. It it doesn't go back and forth. Um, the, you know, development execs and, and producers, don't want comic book writers, you know, like they're not going to hire you because you're a best-selling comic book writer. They're only going to hire you based on a spec script, Mm -hmm. you know, or on something that you sell, you know, it's not uh, success in one industry in one medium doesn't necessarily mean success in the other. It doesn't translate. I mean, if you are Joss Whedon, in film, um, <laughs> you're going to be able to go write comics if you want, mm. right? But um, those are few and far between. Like I, I have a couple friends who are uh, screenwriters who I think would write fantastic comics, and they, just, they you know, they can't get arrested mm-hmm. writing for Marvel or DC. Um, and, and that's not to say that Marvel and DC are the 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 ultimate goals or anything like that. Um, it's just a it's a hard a hard thing to do um you know as an as an outsider so um so it's the same thing like you know uta my my agent there i don't really talk to that much anymore um we actually just had lunch a couple weeks ago for the first time in a long time um but uh you know i've been kind of going down a different path the last couple years and i have a couple spec scripts that i'm working on right now and we actually have a something else that alec and i are well, a couple of things that he and I are working on together that are, that has a little bit of a few things that have some traction to them. Um, 
but uh, you know, until one of those becomes a bit more real, there's not really much for UTA to do, you know, so there's not really a lot for me to, there's no reason for me to really be interacting with them. I'm not really bringing them anything and I'm not at a point in my career as a writer or, a, you know, director that they can put me up for things, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, it's kind of on me at this point. Right. Now talking about the comic industry as very tight knit and it's, it's difficult to break in not having a background as a comic writer, having a background as a filmmaker, how did the league get you your first or help get you your first writing comic book writing gig? Um, well, it was a total fluke situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I put the league, we finished the league. I put it online. One of uh, our good friends, Eric White, who we met because I hired him to design the characters for mm. the league. Um, he and I stayed in touch throughout the process of me making the movie. And by the time it was done, he just, he loved how it turned out. Um, and so he sent out an email to like 200 people. It was like to everyone he knew in comics and film and TV saying, here's this really cool thing that, uh, that he was involved with designing the characters and you guys should watch it if you get a chance and think you might like it. And I got a lot of emails, very nice emails back from people and a lot of connections that way. But one of the first emails I got back was from Joe Casada. Mm. who at the time was uh, the editor-in-chief of Marvel. He's now the chief creative officer of Marvel. But he happened to watch the film, um, which is amazing to think about because it was a 27-minute film, and there was no trailer for it. It was just like, boom, it's the the whole film, right? Right. So he watched the whole thing, and he really liked it, and said if there's ever anything that he could do for me to let him know. And I wrote back and said, well, first of all, I'm a huge fan of your work, and... Um, and I really was, and I said, and you know, if you guys are ever looking for new writers, you know, please let me know. And and he wrote back and he said, well, we're always looking for new writers, Kyle. He said, what types of stories do you like? And, you know, we basically emailed back and forth a few times and and he said, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share the film around with my senior editor staff and senior editorial staff and see if any of the senior editors respond to it. He's like, and if they do, um, you know, maybe basically one of them will reach out to you and, um, you can, you can kind of, maybe you can pitch to them. Basically it works best if you're not, if I'm not pitching directly to Joe, right. To the editor. in chief. So there's a learning curve and, and, you know, coming up under an editor's wing is really the best way to do it, um, at Marvel. And so, uh, Tom Brevert watched the film and liked it and reached out to me and, um, I pitched for 10 months. I pitched all sorts of backups and one shots and just random ideas. I mean, there was never like, Hey, I could use a story for X, you know, right. it was, uh, I think I have something Tom for Wolverine, you know, <laughs> question mark. Right. Yeah. And, and, and if I, at a certain point he did tell me kind of what stuff that he was looking for, mm-hmm. like where he had kind of spaces, but like that was like eight months later. Um, and so I pitched probably about a good 20 stories. Um, some of them fully worked up. Most of them fully worked up as like one shots. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at a certain point, I remember Alec and I were driving through Santa Monica 
and talking about one of the areas that Tom was was looking for something was uh, a World War II, a theater of war one shot. And uh, we were talking just different ideas and kind of stumbled across this idea of uh, Captain America, of Steve Rogers being a, waking up as a prisoner of war in Nazi Germany. And I went, oh, that's really cool. But we couldn't, we had trouble with it. I don't remember what exactly we had trouble with, but we, we ended up setting it aside. And then randomly, like three months later, just on a whim, I emailed Tom and I was like, what do you think about Steve Rogers as a prisoner of war in Nazi Germany? And he wrote back like 20 minutes later and he's like, I think there's something really interesting there. And I was like waiting for the, the other shoe to drop. And, right. and uh, he's like, can you work that up into a, you know, a little bit of a more proper pitch? And so I called Alec immediately and was like, you motherfucker, I pitched for 10 months <laughs> and got nowhere. And the one idea that we had together is the one they want to do. Sorry. So, <laughs> so, so that's, that turned into our first, uh, our first comic and we didn't know what we were doing at all. I mean, it was a, it was a very steep learning curve. Um, I think the book turned out, yeah. turned out well actually considering, but um, but yeah, it was definitely, definitely flying blind. We could have used like five more pages, but Hey, who, well, well, yeah, who couldn't? Yeah. Right. That's so funny. I mean, I hear so many different stories about different writers getting their you know, comic book writers, specifically getting their start from random areas. Like yours came from the league and then pitching and James Asmus was a playwright playwright. Yeah. And he invited a bunch of Marvel editors to a play he was doing. And I guess a couple of them showed up. And they loved it. And yeah, so they invited him to pitch based on writing Scott, a play. Just Scott like, Snyder is a very similar case as well, actually. That's just so crazy. You wouldn't think it would work out like that. But hey, um, have you just out of curiosity, have you guys written a script for the Cowl League? <laughs> like a feature? Yeah. Or TV pilot, you know, whatever. Um, not a not a not a TV pilot. No, um, but. I would say uh, <laughs> I would say stay tuned. Yeah. All right. The next the next couple of weeks. Awesome. If you could write and direct, this is for both of you, an adaptation of any comic book property other than Cowl, uh, what would it be? Oh, oh wow. Um, I have a couple. Pick one. Just one. I would I would do Daredevil. I would make a Daredevil film. You'd reboot that Daredevil. Yeah. Yeah. As far as superhero stuff goes, non-superhero, I would probably say East of West would be a lot of fun, actually. Cool. Or Black Science to do as a um, to do as a, a a TV show, like a big serialized show. Mm -hmm. Alec, yeah, it's tough. Um, I mean. I one that jumps to mind, I just enjoy, I really enjoyed reading it. Was um, oh gosh, what was the was Midnight Nation? Was okay. That, oh yeah, yeah. I don't. Know, I just I really enjoyed when I was reading that. Yeah, that'd be cool. Cool. What can an aspiring comic book writer do to get noticed, read, and considered by editors? Besides making uh, an amazing short film or inviting a bunch to a play. Um. To write comics, actually, to actually to make comics, and I don't mean just scripts. I actually editors won't read scripts. Mm -hmm. um, there are so many people out there that want to write comics, but aren't that they aren't very good. You know, I mean, it's like any industry. Right. Um, 
the only way to get an editor's attention is to actually make a book, even if you self-publish it, put it online as a PDF, whatever. And then, um, and then conventions, meeting different editors at conventions, uh, meeting different people in the industry, meeting different artists, meeting different writers. It really is about relationships. There is a big networking component to it. Um, you have to be good as well. Sure. You, have to, you have to be talented and you have to, you have to make good work. Um, but then there is, there's a networking component and there's a luck component as well. Right. Now we're starting to run short on time and I know you guys have a lot of stuff going on. So I've got a, a rapid fire section. Sure. Just a couple quick questions here. You're both Illinois guys. If you could have dinner with one Chicago sports legend, who would it be? Oh Michael, my God. Michael Jordan, Walter Payton, Oh, Bobby Hull or Mr. Cub Ernie Banks? Well, for me, it'd be Walter Payton. Okay. Uh, I'd, yeah, I'd, I guess I'd go with Michael Jordan, but that's a tough pick between – yeah. <laughs> Wal uh, Walter Payton was my hero growing yeah. up. Uh, sweetness. You can't go wrong. Yeah. Who should play the Grey Raven in the Cowl TV series or feature? Kyle, <laughs> Kyle Chandler, oh. Alec Baldwin – or former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich. <laughs> well, with those choices, I go with Kyle Chandler. <laughs> yeah. you, can't, you can't go wrong with Coach Taylor. Okay. And who would win in a game of one-on-one, -on -one? Kyle, Alec, or Rod? Of basketball? Yep. Probably Kyle. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna... I don't know. I've never seen Rod. Uh... I've seen Rod. He's not. He's. <laughs> he's he's I'm five. He's five foot, uh, he's like five, five. I'm like six, two. Yeah. Okay. And, and I played basketball, so I'm going to go with me. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Spud Webb was five, seven and Muggsy Bogues was five, five. Were they, were they Brazilian? <laughs> were they Brazilian artists? No, they were not. Or, <laughs> as far as I know, they weren't. And do you guys have any final thoughts or advice for aspiring comic book or screenwriters out there? Just to make stuff. I mean, just to, just to keep, to keep doing it. Yeah. Just keep at it. I mean, everything you do, whether it's something you show to people or become successful or not, everything's, everything's practice. It makes you better for the next thing. We're all aspiring. Yeah. And then Cowl uh, comes out uh, Wednesday, May 28th. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Be sure to check it out. Well, thanks for coming on the show, guys. You can follow Kyle and Alec on Twitter, Kyle D. Higgins and at Alec F. Siegel. Yep. And yep. so you can find us on Twitter at Scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there, just at Scriptscribes. And on Facebook.com slash Scriptscribes. Thanks for listening.